Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 108 of Vague Zone. I'm one of your hosts, Thomas. And I am Daniel. And today we're continuing our coverage on the theme of death. Daniel yeah. made a choice of the film Afterlife. So would you like to read us the IMDb synopsis for the film? After death, people have a week to choose only one memory to keep for eternity. This is Afterlife, Afterlife from 1998. There are many movies called Afterlife. <laughs> Make sure we're yes. talking about the right one. <laughs> yes, this is directed by Hirokazu Kori Eda. So, Daniel, why did you choose this as your choice for this week? Um, this is a movie that I love. Um, I saw this for the first time. I don't know. Like, it came out in 98. We didn't have a DVD player for a while. So I feel like I saw it on VHS. But, um, yeah, it was a movie I saw when I was probably around the age of 13. And it's just stuck with me my whole life. Uh, and it was one of those movies where I, I, I've i only ever met one person who has seen this movie. Um, okay. So it was like a movie that I fell in love with, and yet I could not find anyone who had seen it. Um, and then Criterion did a release, like, probably within the last three years. Um, so it's getting more eyes on it which is good because... And also Hirokazu Kurida, uh, he directed Shoplifters, which got a ton of uh, acclaim a few years back. Yeah. Um, so yeah, hopefully this is getting more eyes on it, getting uh, you know rediscovered. But um, yeah, there's something about this movie, just like how quiet and gentle it is, uh, the balance between... You know, the balance between what is real and what is false is something that has always appealed to me. Um, yeah, yeah. In, in cinema. And yeah, just the quiet existentialism of it. Um, it's something, yeah, that is just stuck in my mind. But, um, but yeah, Thomas, this is your first time watching. What did you think of Afterlife? Um, I really enjoyed it. It was probably a little bit slow for my taste. Mm -hmm. I watched this after a long day of work, so I was a little antsy and a little tired getting towards the end of it because it is like this is this movie is like a poem this is like a very tender slow film contemplating these themes of death and particularly memory and how our memories are formed and like what memories we choose also i think this is a very fascinating anti-war film in some weird ways when we sort of look at how these the older generation looks at what their most cherished memory is and we look at kind of what the younger generation talks about and there's kind of a, a contrast there that I think is really fascinating. And yeah, so when we talked about romance, you kind of mentioned that uh, Eternal Sunshine was kind of like a really hard pick to beat. And I feel that way about this movie in terms of the themes of death, because I don't think we're going to, at least I, I struggle to find and I struggle to think about a movie that tackles the idea of death in a more poetic and human way. And it's, it's, a really tender, really loving kind of movie because it's very honest. It's a very like uh, quiet in a lot of ways. Not a lot of music, not a lot of camera movement. The camera's very static a lot of the time. It kind of represents a documentary in a lot of ways where we're just experiencing people talk about their lives and bringing up the things that they cherish the most. And yeah, it's very, I don't know, understated and very quiet in that way that I really like. And yeah, it's a, a fantastic choice, but yeah, definitely a really thought-provoking film in every way. Well, on the rewatch, I got the feeling that I was like, did I choose wrong? Because the theme is death, and really this feels like it's about life. Like, it's called Afterlife, and 
the people who are going through this process have recently died. The, the process of, you know, having one week to choose the memory that they will take with them into eternity. But it's all about reflecting on your own life. Like the audience is forced into confronting that question themselves of yeah. if I had to take one memory with me to, for eternity, what would I choose? Um, but yeah, if the theme was memory, this would kind of be a perfect movie for that too. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, facing that question is, I think, also very central to what this film is trying to accomplish. And it's, yeah, it's talking about not only memory, but it's the fact that you're going into the afterlife and everything else is going to be erased. You're going to forget everything yeah. else except this one idea. And that sort of raises the stakes a little bit. And they they like how they display, sorry, they explain the rules at the beginning of this movie. They say, okay, you're here for one week. You have three days to decide. And then we're going to film we're going to recreate these memories on film we're going to screen them for you and after that screening you're going to proceed to the actual afterlife you're going to yeah this is like the little the middle ground and yeah i, I really like just like how they just lay that out and just kind of tell you at the very beginning how everything is going to progress but then we experience characters who are struggling with that and they're struggling with the idea of well i can't really pick one memory mm -hmm. i can't really do that and also kind of confronting the idea of everything else being erased yeah it's, it's really heavy and really uh, yeah. a deep philosophical question that's made me think a lot about my own life <laughs> like which character i sort of felt like i was aligning with yeah um so we have this older character ichiro watanabe who cannot choose his favorite experience um he has to resort to he he basically needs a refresh he was like, if I had journals or something, that would really help me out. Yeah. Uh, they place an order for a bunch of videotapes, one videotape per year of his life, so that he can watch through and try and discover a memory worth taking with him. Which I would love that. I would love to get a stack of VHS. <laughs> Here's but, 32 VHS tapes. And I think that is, like, the most interesting part. Like, it's one of the most interesting parts of this movie to me because this movie is also about filmmaking. Um, yes, yeah. And so we have the idea that, like, okay, they want you to pick a memory so that they can make a film that you take with you to the afterlife. However, they do have videotapes of your whole life. So they could conceivably just take that videotape and have that videotape be the memory that sticks with you for your whole life. But this yeah. is when we get into the relationship between memory and cinema, which is, it's not about, like, the videotape isn't, good enough like the videotape is just a depiction of what happened but the way we remember things you have people talking about like oh i remember the feel of the snow i remember it was a hot day i remember the yeah. sound of these bells or like i wore this red dress like you know the taste of something uh there's a lot of like sensory elements uh to the way we remember things and the videotape doesn't emphasize that um, so when they're later on in the movie, we get this, um, scene of, uh, the people who work at this weird sort of, you know, pick a memory, we make a film of it, uh, space. I don't know what we should call this space. Um, uh, yeah, I, 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 it's a production company because yeah, yeah they they have everything you need. It seems like their budget is kind of boundless. They have child <laughs> actors and sets being built. But they, but they, <laughs> they can only get one plane for the guy who has a... Uh, True. The pilot. Yeah. There are there are limitations. <laughs> yeah, they have to be a little faking with <laughs> taking the 
the wing off and placing it above the window so it's actually authentic to his memory. Yeah. So when they're making the films, they say like, oh, it was a hot day. Let's spray a little water on his head to like show that it was hot. He was like sweating. Or let me see. I like wrote it down in my notes. Um, yeah. With the pilot, there's like clouds flying past him. They're recreating that realism yeah. of flying through clouds and flying through clear skies like there's a woman who remembers dancing in a red dress when she was a child and it's like oh maybe we should make the background monotone to really emphasize the red dress yes so the filmmaking is all about placing emphasis on things uh the videotapes are not how a person remembers describing the memory uh uh, yeah and so it's less about like what happened and more about like how do we remember what happened um definitely yeah and so i also kind of wonder if there is so i noticed some of those videotapes they kind of feel like an ozu movie and like ozu is known for like these uh very low to the ground camera setups like static shots um and i wonder if there is this criticism of like that style of filmmaking even though this movie does kind of do a lot of that where it's saying like by sort of um kind of objectively portraying everything in this like static angle you're not emphasizing anything and so what are you communicating emotionally i guess um i don't know i don't know that is interesting i felt that way apparently like for the first like half of this movie when it's mostly just people kind of going through those first three days and retelling these memories and some of them stick to one uh, and then some people kind of change their mind on the last mm-hmm. day but overall yeah it's very static the camera's just just uh facing them directly their center frame and they're just explaining things there's some jump cuts involved and i looked at the wikipedia and they said that he like hired a uh documentary filmmaker to help make this like part of the movie and some of those he in the process of writing this he interviewed tons and tons of people to just ask him this question that the characters are proposed in the movie and the way that it sort of ends up playing out it does feel yeah like it it feels kind of dry but it also i feel like it does that just so you connect with just the way that they're telling the stories and the emotions that they're conveying and not really getting uh expressive or showy with how it it is shot and just emphasizing on the stories being told yeah and we're only so so the framing is just like it's a flat framing the subject the interviewee is in the center of the frame and on each side of them over their shoulders are two windows with like these potted plants in them um and like we cut from interview to interview all with this exact framing which sort of yeah it really makes it feel like a documentary and it really grounds it in realism um and i don't know if this came up when you were reading the wikipedia i didn't i didn't read the wikipedia but um does it say anything about the old woman who remembers dancing the red dress like is her story true because if not that that is the most incredible performance (laughs) because i was 100 percent convinced she was just describing like a past memory yeah i didn't it doesn't really say too much about that. It just says that there is a blend of it, but it doesn't really say specifically. Like, well, I'm looking at the uh, IMDb, and so some of these people have, like, pictures from their, like, like a profile picture for their IMDb, and some don't. Some are just kind of yeah. just, like, names. And so I don't know. That might help give some hints towards who's 
more of a professional actor who isn't. But overall, I, I kind of like being ambiguous and not really knowing and sort of blending them all together because I think that elevates the experience way more because there's just such a great swath of different perspectives that I just really appreciated. But like I said, I mentioned in the intro that, yeah, I do feel like there's kind of a separation between the generations because some of the younger people are talking about like one girl mentions, yeah, like I really liked going to Disneyland. And, mm-hmm. Like we like uh, the smell of the pancakes was so sweet, but I couldn't afford one. So my friend gave me hers and that was a, an amazing mm-hmm. moment. And then the older generation is like, I like survived an earthquake and I thought I was going to die. And then yeah. all of our parents took us to this bamboo forest and fed, fed us rice bowl rice balls and those rice balls were amazing i'm like yeah the values are like very similar in terms of like like appreciating a food or appreciating something really tactile but also like the context are like completely different yeah there's so much variety and diversity and the young girl the teenage girl who says her favorite memory is disneyland gets called out for it where like yeah. uh i forget what the character is uh, shiori uh yes. she meets with her and basically tells her that it's a very common memory to choose for teenage girls disneyland <laughs> um which kind of prevents this question of like is mass market pop culture really where we find profound joy uh and should this girl feel bad for having <laughs> enjoyed splash mountain with her friends i don't think so yeah but yeah it's like that's a a great memory i have a, a memory that is like fantastic that is attached to disneyland and like the entire story is way too long to be told here in this moment but it's one of those great things but also yeah it's like she switches later on towards the end of the film on the third day she's like i actually remember laying on my mother's lap as she's cleaning my ear and just the sweet smell of my mother and so she kind of like switches and I, like it's this beautiful moment of like realization of yeah maybe she did find something that is a little bit more precious and valuable as opposed to this moment with her friends but both memories are valid both memories make you make her who she is but yeah yeah it is a good question to raise and uh you also brought up this idea of like people mem- remembering uh you know the earthquake surviving an earthquake or um remembering serving in the war and stuff like that and i think i think that's really interesting because it's basically it's like when we think about history like it it feels like there is a sort of one version of it you know there is there are it's history is made up of testimonies but all of those are coming together to tell a story and so it's interesting to hear the people who experience these things firsthand, how, how they re- recall these experiences. And then also the movie sort of highlights the flaws in our memory. Um, like a woman gets called out for, you know, your memory doesn't actually make sense. You, you say you're 40 or whatever, uh, or you were 30. This doesn't make sense with the timeline of like when this building was actually constructed or, yeah it's like um, the memory you're citing is actually yeah 40 years after this building was demolished yeah. completely so therefore <laughs> like it couldn't have happened so but 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 that's not really what's important it's not it's yeah. not the facts that are important it's how we remember these things that is important um and that's kind of what the relationship between videotapes and the filmmaking is highlighting too um so like when they actually start producing these films based on these memories 
um, the woman in the who remembered dancing as a child in the red dress, she's holding this handkerchief. And she says, what <laughs> yeah. was I doing with the handkerchief? <laughs> like, yeah. what did I do with it? So now, like, faced with having to reconstruct it and, like, make it a reality, she's noticing, like, flaws and, like, disconnects between her memory and the ability to reconstruct it. Um, so now she's having to fill in the details and she's having to make things up that maybe that's not the way it happened. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's it's great. Really yeah, she's like, yeah, like even when they're talking to her before the actual production starts, the answer is like, could you, like, do you remember how the dance goes? And she's like, I, like, I don't really know. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I might know a couple of the steps. I know like the, the words to the song and like the general tune of the song, mm -hmm. but I don't know like how the actual dance goes. And then, yeah, when she's literally like leaning over the little girl who's in costume when they're on set and they're like, okay, now it's time to teach her the steps. And she's yeah. like, oh, like, I, I don't really know how this goes. And yeah, it's a really sweet moment. And yeah, it definitely rings true to a lot of things. I'm in the process of writing out a bunch of stories that I've like experienced as life stories and shit over the past 30 years of my life and as i get further removed from things that happened in junior high and high school it becomes incredibly difficult to just get the facts right and just to get certain details just correct in terms of like what year did things happen and like when when did these things actually happen to me and yeah it becomes way more malleable and there's this concept with memory that like every time you recall a memory it's like you're remembering like the last time that you remembered it. You're not really remembering yeah. the core thing. Like your 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 brain is constantly rebuilding on this one idea. And this movie is like one of the best depictions of that I've ever seen. Yeah, you're remembering a story. Um yeah. I think this yeah, this movie is a very good uh like argument for why you need to start a journal. <laughs> I got a yeah, young age. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember absolutely. watching um, How To With John Wilson and he, we see his obsessive journaling. And, like, <laughs> I was like, I gotta do that. Just like write down like a few details of what happened that day and like flip to a page and it's like time travel. Um, yeah. So I've done a little bit of it. I, I Every once in a while I go back, uh, you know, maybe I haven't done it for a few months and I'm looking at my calendar trying to fill in like what happened that day. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. very challenging. Yeah. Um, so uh, what do you think about the character Takashi and like his sort of his like con his the realization that he sort of comes to in this movie is like a really central part of this like there's I, I don't want to necessarily call it a romance but there's definitely a connection that happens between him and Shiori over the course of yeah. them as like the counselors of this afterlife uh program kind of thing sort of processing this 22 some odd people that are coming through once a week essentially um it feels a little one-sided in terms of the relationship it feels like shiori is definitely way more invested uh than takashi is i don't really recall takashi ever being particularly affectionate with her in any way um yeah. but uh what do i think about like the memory he chooses or well, like, that was something I really wasn't quite expecting to, like, happen in this movie. I thought it would all be more in the perspective of the group that comes through this program or the, this group that comes through this, like, purgatory kind of setup and focusing on them. But, yeah, I guess we can sort of spoil the endings a little bit here because we're getting kind of into this conversation. Um, after they have the screening of this group of 22 people, it's like 
we don't even cut to see their reactions mm-hmm. to these movies. Like, we and we never see the to, movies. Yeah, we never see their movies at all. It's like they're just gone from the movie entirely. And mm-hmm. then for those last like twenty minutes or so, we stick around, and he like reads a letter, and he finds out that he had a, a connection to the character uh, Wantanabe, who was struggling to find his own memory. Then he ha- he watched all the videos and got like. Uh, this memory he chose with his wife, but then we find out that that wife was originally married to him. Or originally married. Yeah. Sorry, yes, she was originally Takashi's fiance, but then because of com- I believe mostly complications from World War Two, they uh, ended up the Pacific being, War. Yeah. Takashi died in the Pacific. Uh, Pacific War. Okay, yeah. So talking about yeah, forty five, and the dates are like very close or around like Hiroshima, very very close. I just really thought that it was an interesting choice to sort of kind of turn the focus on this one character's plight. And then, yeah, and the involvement with Shiori and their their little connection that they make, but also Takashi, once he discovered, once he's sort of given this information that he does share a good moment, like he was a, like a good memory of someone's life, mm-hmm. he decides to to pass on and to like basically get that that film make make his movie so he's allowed to pass on yeah and so the movie he makes is him on a bench looking into the camera and then us seeing the people filming him uh so he's remembering coming to the realization that his life had value and the people he worked with who helped him get there i guess yeah um and so so i think that's also him kind of passing it on is like for him he had to learn that his he he could be part of someone else's eternity yes yeah, and yeah. he decides i'm gonna take all of these people with me into my eternity uh by remembering the people i worked with who helped me you know find my realization um, which i think is i don't know pretty beautiful <laughs> yeah yeah definitely yeah it, it sort of came out of left field it like really took me by surprise and i was very happy that it was involved because yeah after the group sort of disappeared i was i was i kind of felt a little empty i was like damn like we like we started to get to know these people we've been spending a fair amount of screen time just to dive into their memories and dive into what thing what like they value and just like how they all kind of have built this history and how they're yeah. somewhat connected to each other and then they're just gone and so i was like oh man this is this kind of left me feeling a little empty but then yeah when we get to stick with Takashi for a bit and learn how he's connected to Watanabe, Watanabe's wife. And it, it, I don't know, it, it helps solidify it a little bit. And then we see him inside the theater having the reaction, talking mm-hmm. about giving Shiori his uh, mystery novel. So she finishes it and then yeah, he just disappears from the theater. Yeah. And it feels like, I think maybe the Takashi thing feels a little weird just cause it's, and I don't know if like weird's the right word. Um, it's just, uh, it, it's never clear that this is going to be a conflict in the movie until, like, pretty late. Like, we're yeah, never yeah. like, oh, like, this, Takashi can't come up with a, with a memory. Uh, maybe this process will help him. It's, like, the main conflict of the movie, if there is one, like, is just uh, everyone trying to figure out, like, hmm, what's it going to be? And it's just people thinking. <laughs> yeah. It does, yeah, it definitely doesn't feel like, yeah, a, a conflict outright. There is a little bit of... Uh, tension between some of the actual people who have recently passed away like uh, Watanabe can't really decide so he gets the 
the stack of VHSs to to look through. We have a character named Isaiah, who I, yeah. I just kept calling him Twenty One because he's twenty one years old, yeah. and, and he's um he's kind of being combative a little bit. He says it's not that he can't choose a memory; he just doesn't want to. He yeah, like he, he would prefer. Yeah, he refuses to choose that. And I wonder what you thought about him upon rewatching this because, yeah, I felt like I was oddly relating to him in like a weird way because he's, yeah, he, he like, he kind of flips the questions back on them and he's like, oh, well, what if I did, did something that was just a dream? And like, what if I have yeah. you guys film a nightmare? And they're like, no, like that's out of the question. <laughs> like you can't be, he's kind of like prodding them a little bit. I thought that was yeah. really fascinating. It feels kind of like a... I don't know that like the attitude feels very youthful to me where it's like, I'm going to like, he's looking at it like a game. Like, it's like, okay, like I've been presented with the rules. Like, how can I warp those rules? Like a memory? I could remember a dream. You're telling me you'll film something like really bizarre and insane. Um, What if I just chased on the beach? (laughs) Yeah. What if I just flat out refuse? Um, And he tells them something along the lines of like, you need to rework your whole operation. (laughs) Like he is, he is, it's not that, it's not even that he's so much refusing to play along. He also wants to dismantle it and like reform. Like what, like what does his ideal situation look like? Like what does he think the proper system for this should be? Um, We don't get an answer to that, but... Maybe yeah, in Afterlife as, 2. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But then as Takashi comes to his realization and chooses to pass on, Isaya is adopted into their their company. He's just like yeah. out there kicking the snow. They're like, hey, like, your shift is starting. Like, get, like, get yeah, in. he's still refusing yeah. to play along. It's interesting that yeah. uh, Watanabe uh, sort of adopts one of uh, 21's <laughs> talking points, which is if I like refusing to choose sort of feels like taking responsibility for my life. Um, which is, which is bizarre because they're already, they're already dead. (laughs) Like what are they taking responsibility for? I guess. Um, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm really not sure. Yeah. There's also the one man who, then they ask him about one memory and he's like, I have none. Like my life was absolutely awful. And like, I, even if I continue to live on from this point, like I don't think anything good would happen. It's just, he was just very down and very just like, just really doubting that there was any like moments of good in his life at all. And the idea of forgetting everything and living with only one memory is heaven. Yeah. Because if you have nothing good to look on, or the bulk of your life is not good. You surely can find one thing and then leave the rest of that pain behind. Yeah. We have, so I have a woman who is very, seems very distant from all, we have the distance from all of this. You have an older woman who is just picking leaves and nuts the entire mm-hmm. time and just like not answering the questions at all. Uh, what do you think about her? Cause I thought she had a nice little moment at the end when she kind of connects with one of the counselors and, gives him the bag of uh flower blossoms or, or tulips or something that connects to his daughter yeah that's a it's a that's a strange one for me because it feels like the reason for that character is to explore the idea of like what if you don't have memory um like how because like did did you take from that character the idea that like maybe this person has some sort of um dementia or something like that 
Maybe. I wasn't exactly sure. She definitely perplexed me the most. Because they say something along the lines of she's already made up her mind. She made up her mind during life, and she believes she's a nine-year-old girl. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. Um, and so she's already living in a way that is out of touch with reality. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm not. I'm not too sure what to make of that. Yeah, like she stuck out to me, and also the guy who we learned his name is Bundo. They're asking him about memory, and he's like, "Yeah, it's like I remember, like I was like five or six months old, and it was oh, an yeah. autumn day." And it sounds like he's like making up the story as he goes a little mm -hmm. bit, and that's when it kind of sparks the debate inside of the meeting room when they're like, "Some people have memories going From all the, the way back to the womb, yeah. but." The average person, like, it starts around three or four years old, and then yeah. they sort of go around the table, and they're all, yeah, like, I was, like, three or four years old, and I remember this one small thing. But yeah, it's done. It poses an interesting question of what happens if, like, the old woman, maybe something does happen to where that is sort of stalled, and then you don't really progress in half memories like that. You sort of just uh, react, like, it, you, your personality kind of shifts, but also there's another side of the coin where maybe someone's just completely dishonest yeah maybe they're just lying yeah it's gonna just lie to you and I don't know, it's, just, it's very thought-provoking it also kind of ties into what uh 21 was talking about where he's saying he would rather just construct something new like that that has more meaningful that's more meaningful to him than remembering something like your memories that's just something to happen to you uh yeah. you know but to create something has more meaning um yeah. Did you have a sort of a favorite recently deceased person in this movie? Um, I enjoyed the stuff with the pilot, him talking like they like ask him about the, the plane, like him like learning how to fly. And then he they proceed to give him the pictures of a plane that they can use. And he's like, no, this is not the right model. Like the, the wings need to be higher. And, and that becomes like an aspect of the production. And, and then when we see that happen, it's just really a, a nice fun part of it because they have like little clouds on these mm -hmm. like coat hangers and like I don't know, it just felt like a like you see how like DIY, DIY it is it felt like a Michelle, Michelle Gondry movie a little bit yeah it was it was really <laughs> quaint I really liked that a lot I was into that um but also yeah the stuff that kind of was resonating the most to me was the war stuff and them kind of placing these events around really traumatic moments and one in particular is the older woman when they re they're recreating her memory and she had the, like she made a swing between two bamboo trees and it's mm -hmm. like it's just like a rope tied to trees and we kind of made a swing and had fun on that and our moms were making rice balls and she's like no like these like make them bigger like the like, the, the rice balls are bigger so, yeah. like, so she's kind of just like explaining those things but then she drops like a complete bomb when she's explaining that yeah like people were kind of going crazy. I was afraid that they someone had poisoned our well of water in the village. And also like a group of Korean people had like gathered up and we thought that they were going to attack us, but they were actually fleeing. And so there was like this whole thing about be like this completely wrong rumor that sort of had like sort of spurred out of this moment of like desperation in this moment of like deep fear. And I don't know, I just, maybe it's because I'm in Korea and I'm thinking about the relationship between Korea and Japan a lot more and just learning more about those histories is always really fascinating. And yeah, that just really stuck out to me because 
there's another memory earlier on about a man describing being fed rice from an American soldier. Yeah. And I don't just, just those stories felt very real while hearing them. Yeah. Yeah. It is highlighting the human. Yeah. It is interesting because if this movie was made in the U S like what sort of historical events would color the memories of people here? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Very good question. I know at least for a lot of people our age, 9-11 might be one of those big ones where it's like I was writing about it and thinking about the era of my life because I was like right before I moved from Oakland to Martinez and things were just very fuzzy like between like 10 and 11. But like I remember that day just like being in the room in the classroom and it just being like lights off, no one's talking, no one's teaching, it's just completely silent and it's just that silence is something I remember in like just that feeling of like things are wrong, but I don't know why. And I'm too young to know exactly why things are wrong. And yeah, that's why I feel like this is such a a powerful anti-war movie because it feels like, yeah, a lot of this younger generation gets to have these beautiful memories that are just, yeah, we're just going to Disneyland. We're we're riding magic mountain. (laughs) The older generation is like, you've lived through things. It's like, like I tasted my sweat and there was no salt in the sweat. Yeah. We were so dehydrated. Like we were just like so dehydrated and just the mercy of this soldier giving us salted rice was just such a, a powerful memory. And yeah, it just, that stuff really blew me away. I thought that was really, really well done. Um, what do you think of Shiori as a character? Uh, she's good. She was kind of like a cipher. I didn't really know what to read of her. Um, I feel like, yeah, the other male counselors were taking more of the lead when they're interviewing people. And so mm-hmm. she kind of has some hesitancy and uncertainty when she has to sort of step up at the end and be the counselor and the guys, even yeah. the one guy's telling her, it's like, yeah, some of these people, some of the men might just want to talk about sex for three days. And so you have to sort of be okay with that. And she's like, yeah, it's fine. And yeah, just, I thought that was interesting that that was a part of the movie too like the old guy just talking about brothels and getting discounts (laughs) and and insisting like every guy will tell you it's when they're doing it (laughs) yeah yeah that's the best (laughs) yeah i don't know she was definitely kind of a mystery to me yeah but she does have this very raw moment when she's like kicking the snow on the roof Mm -hmm. and kind of proceeds to break down and yeah really fell for it but it might need to, I might need to another rewatch to kind of really focus in on her. Um, something I found really interesting with her is that she has photographs all over her walls. And it feels like, yeah. you know, photographs are a way of documenting memories. Um, and later on, when we see Takashi's room, she like goes into his room. There's like nothing on the walls. He has like books yeah. on bookshelves, but he there are no photographs. Uh, yeah. And it's also, like, her job to, like, be a location scout, so she's definitely out there, like, taking photos. Um, yeah, love that scene. Yeah, yeah, what do you make of that? Like, her going out, and we see there's traffic, and there are people wandering around, like... Yeah, really interesting, So it makes me think, like, okay, like, is this just, like, a ghost walking around, taking yeah. pictures, and, like, kind of ghostly? Uh, as far as the movie, in, like, looking at the form of it, it sticks out because it is like the one time we have a lot of camera movement, a lot of handheld shots. And it's like the one time we have like music in this movie. There's a a scene where a band is practicing. It's the one time where 
like this i don't know it's like a tower starts to like unfold or something like something yeah yeah and then like this music kind of shines in and she just like goes around taking pictures and it was just absolutely gorgeous yeah that's a really interesting scene um yeah you mentioned music there is a scene in this movie that really reminded me of the ending of the seventh seal and um so the seventh seal ends with the silhouette of death leading uh you know all of our characters i guess into the afterlife um there's been a throughout this movie we occasionally get moments of people practicing playing music yeah and then at the very end of this movie we get uh sort of a marching band walking leading all of the participants uh yeah, yeah. and they're leading them all walking single file in a line and it's interesting because in seventh seal it's this flat uh, silhouette. It's very two-dimensional. But here, they're, like, walking away from the camera and sort of zigzagging yeah. across, like... There's, so there's a whole lot of depth to it. And I wonder if that was supposed to sort of playfully uh, be a reference to Seventh Seal in some way. Maybe. Yeah, you know, or just... If not the Seventh Seal, then just the dance macabre mm-hmm. in general. Because it's yeah. depicted in paintings and and whatnot but that's a really good point yeah that that last little time we that's like the last time we yeah, we like really see them it's like they they're like all in the hall they go walk into the theater they file into the movie theater the lights go out and then that, that's it yeah i do want to say my favorite person in this movie is that old woman yeah. with the memory of dancing in the red dress like one, yeah, yeah. like if it's a if it's a performance, it's absolutely a fucking incredible performance because you can see it in her eyes as she's like gazing in the, around the room, trying to remember things, reliving memories. Um, but there is like the most touching moment in this movie when uh, they're filming, and uh, you know she's just taught the little girl how to do the dance or whatever. And then we cut to a shot of her sitting down and maybe she's looking at like a script or something, but then she's being interviewed and she says, my brother will be thrilled. And her brother died. I want to say like three years before she did. Um, But she says, my brother will be thrilled. When I prayed at his altar this morning, I told him we were filming today. And that was like the most that like fucking tore me apart <laughs> yeah yeah it's really good i believe it yeah yeah the power of film and memory is on display here in a way that i didn't realize it can make it like a connection in the way that this movie does and it's yeah it's absolutely poetic and yeah there's so much going on with yeah just like the play of history and documentary and just how it all blends together it's just like I was like, yeah, this movie feels like as close to a poem as we could get in like cinematic form. Hmm. Um, anything else you would like to touch on? Yeah, um, I know I was like citing World War II stuff uh, throughout the conversation, but I just searched on Google because uh, uh, one of the people in the movie mentions the earthquake was on September 1st, and so I looked up japan earthquake september 1st and so there was one in 1923 called the great kanto earthquake that happened Mm. in japan the island of honshu and so it feels like yeah that's tying into a lot of the real pain and real actual memories of 
people from that older generation who was like young in the 20s lived through the war and now is you know aging as it gets closer to the, the late 90s i'm not exactly sure when this movie is set but it seems to be it leans heavily into that and i think that's a really fascinating part of this movie what well, came out in 98 yeah i think takashi said he was born in like the early 20s and that he should be in his 70s so it's probably it probably takes place in 98 i would guess or like sometime in the mid 90s yeah i think you're i think you're correct okay. yeah yeah what about you any final um, thoughts i kind of yeah just going back to the idea that the videotapes kind of with their static shots and distant framing they emphasize nothing um we see a film of uh it, it's i think we see a videotape of takashi's fiance her memory and we see Takashi sitting next to her on a bench and he's got his hands clasped together. But then we see the film that they made of Takashi uh, for Takashi Takashi's fiance's memory. Yeah. And we get a close up of his hands clasped together. And so to me it was just like highlighting the disconnect between what is emphasized by the person who has the memory versus what, you know, objectively took place. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's some. I, I, I fucking love this movie. <laughs> like on the rewatch, yeah, yeah. I was like appreciating it way more. Just like in terms of I don't know, like camera placement and style and tone. Uh, yeah. yeah, definitely. It feels like this is something that like should be studied. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those movies from a filmmaker where it feels like it's operating on a completely different wavelength from other films and even there's a excerpt uh, a, a small c clip of the uh, roger ebert review and he he calls him a humanist that's mm. how he describes the the director and i think like that's a really apt way to describe it yes yeah, like it's very very human in a way that's hard to describe i think i did see that and he compared him to bergman right uh i believe so that or curacao Maybe both. I think he compared him to, he said, like, he should be regarded up yes. there with, and then listed a few filmmakers. Yeah, he said Kurosawa and Bergman. Yeah, yeah. Correct. All right. I think that's all for me. Yeah. On okay. Life. What have you been watching this week? What did I watch this week? I watched The Banshees of Inishirin. Okay. Uh, with Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. Um, I think this might be my third favorite movie of the year. Um, okay. Cool. It, it goes everything everywhere the northman and then the banshees of inishirin um mm, okay which like not at all comparable to those first two movies because like yeah, everything yeah. everywhere is insane the northman there are moments where you're watching that movie and you're like this is fucking insane yeah. uh, the banshees of inishirin is just like a nice good movie <laughs> um yeah yeah so for for those who don't know what this movie's about um it takes place on an island near Ireland and uh it is this uh this this guy played by Colin Farrell he goes to grab his friend so that they can hit the pub together his friend won't answer the door he goes to the pub anyway he's like oh maybe he'll catch up with me the guy at the pub the bartender's like where's your friend he's like I don't know he didn't answer the door and he's like are you I want to say he says are you rowing which means like are you fighting he's like I didn't think we were rowing <laughs> and um he comes to learn that his friend no longer likes him that he finds him dull 
and <laughs> it that begins a crisis for this man of like how can someone just decide they don't like me anymore like we've been friends for years how, like what the fuck is going on uh he keeps going to the guy being like please like give me an answer like what the like be my friend what happened he used to be <laughs> nice and the guy says you need to leave me the fuck alone here like he gets so annoyed that he says if you don't leave me alone i'm gonna cut off a finger for every time you fucking annoy me i'm gonna cough one of my own fingers for every time you fucking annoy me um and he's a musician and oh, wow. so that's the premise of the movie is like this okay. man has to live with the fact that he is dull and an annoyance to a man that once called his friend interesting um, and it's very 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 good um yeah it was I, I, it was so, like, I, I had heard it was good, and I was like, am I really, like, do I really want to work up to going to see this? Like, what if it's boring? <laughs> what if it's one of those boring good movies, you know? Um, but no, well, like, exist. it was very, like, it's funny, uh, and at certain points, it's, like, kind of thrilling, <laughs> and okay. I don't know, it's, yeah, I, I really dug this movie. Um, Sweet. So I watched that, I watched Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Um, yes, I did too. Oh, you did too. Okay. Uh, yes, I did. How, yeah. How about we start? What did you think of Black Panther? Uh, I really enjoyed it a lot. I think it's uh, kind of interesting that this movie is sort of coming out and the period of time where we're discussing death as our mm-hmm. theme. Yeah. I think that's like a really big portion and a really big theme of Wakanda Forever. It's like it opens with uh, spoilers. Getting into it, uh, mm-hmm. it opens with a very solemn like tribute to T'Challa but that could easily be read as like a tribute and send off to Chadwick Boseman himself and it is fucking very emotional I think like the most emotional I've ever felt while watching a superhero movie um I I give props to Ryan Coogler for like pulling off just like that just very well done introduction uh there's certain parts of the movie that I think are a little so-so um like not crazy about Ironheart or I'm not really like, I wasn't super into some of the, like, you know, the stuff involving her. It just felt a little like, yeah, I guess it's like, yeah, a little tacked on just like the stuff with Martin Freeman character, Martin Freeman's character in Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I thought that was well, just like, this is a superfluous Marvel MCU shit that I'm not really interested in, but everything related to dealing with the mourning of a lot of a loved one, the mourning of the loss of a loved one. And like, just all of those things really resonated really heavily with me. And yeah, I realized like how much both of these movies sort of meant to me because the first one is just like Oakland as fuck. And like, I remember seeing that at Grand Lake and just the entire theater erupting when it's like Oakland yeah. 1994. Oh, and yeah. it just <laughs> felt fucking special. And this movie kind of, hit that same mark it's like like i said mentioned multiple times it dealt with like the loss of my grandmother mm-hmm. last year and that brought our family together in a way i didn't think was fucking possible and dealing with like death and moving on from a death is like something very sensitive and close to my like heart at the moment and so watching this was kind of tough at times but i really enjoyed that aspect of it uh, i think yeah, they kind of swung for the fences, like doing like the Talokan kind of going down to like the Aztec uh, civilization underwater. And like, like I think Namor is pretty fucking badass. I thought his, his performance is good. But yeah, it's they are biting off a lot dealing with like colonialism and like these 
like these nations sort of being like secluded and like colliding with each other and yeah it like didn't really want to see them fight and like you know so i'm really happy that they were sort of able to make an alliance at the end but yeah like i said the the morning and all of the heavy emotional stuff i'm really into the mcu stuff i could it was a little shaky yeah. but overall i really enjoyed it what do you think um i think i i i basically agree with everything you said except that <laughs> i came out like not being as into it um okay because like every everything related to Chadwick Boseman and like honoring him and what he contributed to these movies, um, I loved. I think that's all incredibly effective, especially like right out all the stuff right out of the gate. Um, and then when we circle back at the end, uh, I think of this movie, it just I, I liked, um, yeah, I'll, I'll keep talking about what I liked <laughs> first. Um, yeah. I do like uh, Namor is his name right? Namor? yeah uh, the villain i i especially liked his backstory that um whole flashback scene i thought that was like one of the most well done parts of the movie was that flashback scene especially the underwater birth just looked incredible it's just like a beautiful yeah. visual <laughs> um i also uh there's a moment i guess we've already spoiled it but um after uh shuri kind of gets him to yield and she has this she has like a flashback and we're relating wakanda to uh talakon um yeah yeah it's all visual it's that, that that's all the stuff i really enjoyed like so much of the stuff that is like honoring and remembering chadwick boseman it's visual um yeah relating yeah. wakanda to talakon it's all visual i think the dialogue is usually a weak point in these movies and i feel like it is still a weak point here um it's a lot of exposition it's a lot of characters talking in a way where no one on earth talks like this <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and it's always like we're always in a rush like we're always in a rush to get to the next scene because we have so much to do in this movie and even more so because chadwick boseman passed away like it, it was very obvious to me that this was a movie where they had a script written and after the passing of Chadwick Boseman, they had to say, like, okay, how do we restructure this to work without him? Uh, rather than yeah, saying, yeah. like, rather than scrapping it and being like, we just lost our hero. Uh, how about we write a movie about, like, what, what that means? <laughs> like, where that is the yeah. whole movie. Um, this movie is trying to be about grief and about moving forward from a death. It is trying to say something about colonialism and like the exploitation of resources from you know these different nations by western powers mostly western powers um it is trying to set up other mcu things and i think yeah, in yeah. trying to do all of these things it just becomes kind of messy um yeah so like i yeah like also i feel like the uh conflict between like the villain and our heroes is like pr the justification for it is pretty flimsy to me uh, it made it hard for me to care about any of the action. Like, during the climax, I'm like, why are they fighting? <laughs> like, just, like, they yeah. could talk this out. <laughs> like, I know they can because it, it, it does not feel very well justified. And I feel like the fact that it ends with them, like, making a truce together, like, kind of, it feels like the movie's kind of admitting, like, yeah, they didn't need to be fighting. Um, yeah, definitely. So, so, yeah, I had, like, a rougher experience with it. Um, I think Ryan Coogler, like, you know he know he knows how to direct like he like he yeah, when yeah. it hits hitting highs it's hitting highs uh and this movie just made me appreciate the first one so much more 
but that's because we also the first one has the charisma of Chadwick Boseman, and it has yeah yeah uh, you know we got Killmonger in it, like which is an amazing villain. Uh, yeah, uh, fuck, and also I think this one definitely showcases Angela Bassett in a really positive way. She fucking carries this movie like yeah for so much of this movie. She just completely the scene where it. she's talking about like I've lost my whole family, like that fucking like it's like oh yeah these movies sometimes have really good performances in them yeah like uh she must have been expensive <laughs> yeah yeah she's 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 really great she yeah i think yeah there's a lot of things that are really great about mo- both movies both movies are not perfect there's definitely some issues but overall uh, yeah i think they're they're very special and i think this is like I think this is probably one of the few Marvel movies where it's like this doesn't re- like if you just took out the Martin Freeman stuff and if you took out like the kind of the Ironheart thing it would it would just be its yeah. own singular movie in its own singular state and, like, and yeah you would have more time to to go down underwater and, and see all those people. It's funny that you're saying more time to go underwater because what I want to say is when you remove that stuff you have more time to breathe <laughs> like you have more time yeah. to like we don't have to be in a rush in every scene we can like let there be emotional beats like give us some yeah. beats of silence like he does it for the morning stuff he does it like at the end when Shuri's on the beach um, and all of that stuff is fantastic like let us let us breathe uh, yeah 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 totally so and it's so, and it's it's hard because it's like like i i know that like when we talked about dr strange i i was like i came away positive to that movie that's because that movie's silly <laughs> like this yeah, yeah. this movie is serious like it, it there's there's a few uh jokes but it's not necessarily it's not like the other marvel movies where it's trying to be funny like it's not trying to be fun this movie because it's trying to deal with more serious subject matter so if it's going to deal with yeah. more subject matter i'm going to try and you know talk about it in a more serious way and so sorry if it seems like i'm being hard on this one <laughs> no that's that, i yeah. think it's totally fine yeah like the discourse around the first one was really tough uh, as we got further away from the premiere and as i got further away from people who are from Oakland and from the Bay area and mm-hmm. black people who appreciate that movie for all of the highs of like the TDE soundtrack and like the Kendrick Lamar and all this shit is like made it so fucking vibrant. But then later we get like entire South park episodes to dedicate, Oh, this movie isn't that good. It's like, you, it's easy for you to say that because you're, you make fun of everything just yeah. like flat out. And, like it's not impervious to criticism. Absolutely understand. But yeah, it's, it's one of the biggest movies and the biggest film kind of universes out there. So set a set a new record for a release in November. I I think is what I read. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, pretty dope. Pretty dope. I'm into it. Um, so yeah, watched that this week. Oh, one last thing I, I need to talk about that I wa- okay. quote unquote watched. I started God of War okay. Ragnarok. Oh, sweet. <laughs> uh, it is. I feel like the combat is a little clunky. Um. And it's okay. like, like when I first started, I was like, oh, this is sweet. This is great. Like, I, I loved the combat in the last one. I remember it feeling really tight, really smooth. I'm playing this on the second hardest difficulty. I'm getting my ass kicked all the fucking time. I'm hoping <laughs> that, like, and it's starting to feel, like, kind of just, like, mushy, hack and slashy to me. Um, and maybe that's because this is the year that Elden Ring came out, where it's, like, so fucking precise. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm not sure how I feel about the combat. May hopefully I'm hoping it gets a little bit better, or maybe it's my build or something. Um, hmm, but like maybe. narrative, I'm like, there's been a sort of a reveal about. I'm like 14 hours in. There's been a reveal probably like 10 hours in, 
and uh, I am super invested in this. I'm I'm very eager to see where it's going. Uh, yeah, I want to play it so badly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's just my baby boy. My PS5 is back home in America. The uh, <laughs> I send him letters every day. The whole like it, 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 the whole idea of it's supposed to look like it's one shot. Uh, the only time you get a break is when you're pausing it. <laughs> um, hmm, like okay, and that okay. really helps to. It really helps to invest you in because a lot of times I hate cutscenes in games because I'm like I'm here to play a game. I'm not here to watch a movie. But like, yeah, going from action to cutscene without a visual break kind of helps sell it and it kind of helps this the pill of well now i'm no longer playing the game i'm just watching something uh, it makes it a little yeah. easier to swallow so so i'm really enjoying yeah, it no, but yeah yeah that's also like a, a, a note to just like the technology that we're at at this point especially with like the ps5 and you don't really need loading screens yeah. anymore you could just be very fluid and so yeah just like we're not going from the lower render of the gameplay to the higher render of a cutscene. Now it's like it's it's all yeah. just gorgeous cutscene, and that sounds really exciting. I'm looking forward to playing it. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, um, what have you been watching lately? The yeah, besides Wakanda Forever, uh, just wanted to mention Atlanta's finale mm, yeah. was this past week, uh, the end of season four. And again, I think this. I don't want to spoil too much about the episode, but there's themes that are going on in this episode that also line up with our little uh, talk and run through about death. And yeah, it is like unfortunate that the show is going away. Uh, it is very very sad. I was like damn near emotional while watching this last episode but it's also it was a really funny episode it's really creative and so just to kind of break it down usually specifically kind of in the first two seasons there's episodes that focus on the, sort of the whole group dynamic and it's more of like a commentary on the music industry and then occasionally there'll be an episode focusing on one character dealing with like one central theme and Sometimes they'll focus on the character Darius, played by Lakeith Stanfield, and he's the more like aloof, weird, stonery kind of character. He delivers the more radical kind of lines and ideas to the audience. And so throughout season four, there wasn't an episode focused specifically on Darius. And so the finale is, and I think is a really strong choice because it helps kind of fill in some details about the character that kind of help. Uh, clarify his like overall behavior and like character choices that were sort of made and it's really great there's a, a really funny b story too involving uh, like a sushi restaurant uh it's it's a very well put together episode and yeah just th this one in particular uh, yeah there's like a, a sensory deprivation tank involved and kind of a circular kind of thing that kind of happens and it, it is just really fucking great and it went out on an absolute high note and yeah the last two episodes were very strong and yeah like i said i couldn't recommend the show enough uh fucking bum that it's over now but yeah it's been one hell of a ride shout out to atlanta has there been any word on what donald glover's doing next um yeah kind of so there was in he's like in talks to do uh Mr. and Miss, Mrs. Smith TV hmm. show. Okay. With, I think uh, at one point, I think uh, her name is Phoebe Waller-Bridge was attached yeah. to it. But then she dropped Wait. out. Is it Phoebe Waller-Bridge? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that's, Or is that the yeah. singer? <laughs> that might be a singer. No, no, no. <laughs> Phoebe Waller-Bridge is the actress. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so she was attached to that show, but then she dropped out. Uh, they're still in the process of making it. 
Um, that's one thing. And but also like the community movie got greenlit and is now like entering production Oh yeah, that's right. pretty soon. He is not officially attached to it, but I there's still rumors and hopes. There's rumors and hopes that he'll, <laughs> he'll find his way into that movie, which I think would be fantastic. I think that'd be really great. And that would help kind of solidify the fact that the community sort of thing is like coming to an end if they can get him back in there. Cause he's such an instrumental part to like the comedic rhythm of that, uh, that show, especially in the first three seasons, it's just him and Abed are like the heart of that show in so many ways. And Yeah. it'd be, it'd be really sad if he wasn't able to at least have a cameo, at least have an appearance in the community movie, but that that's kind of on the horizon as well. Um, I was curious to see what is it Hiro Morai? Is that how it's pronounced? Yeah. Uh, I was curious to see what he had lined up next, but it looks like like he's pr an executive producer on The Bear, an executive Okay, producer okay. on Station Eleven, and he directed a few episodes of Barry, so he'll he'll probably be back to do some more. Yeah, stuff there yeah, he's 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 fantastic. yeah Love that man. Did just just did us so many just did us dirty. Did us so good. He's just so fucking great at just like directing yeah that show and Yeah, and just like it's very, very strong visually. and he feels like a it's like a quiet talent too it's not like he's Yeah. never he's never like bombastic or like over the top with like i don't know like atlanta never felt that way it was just good <laughs> Yeah. it's just like quietly good um Yeah. Yeah. And so there's some moments, especially as the last like two or three episodes came out where it never felt like very plot heavy to is very like some episodes like they said they kind of drift into kind of different themes and ideas and it at, at a certain point it didn't really become about like is alfred going to be like as successful as he wants to be it's more of just about the relationship he has with earns character and there's just some really nice sweet quiet moments where yeah it's just them having a conversation and it's just you just kind of let that speak for itself and Yeah, did us dirty is not the way to describe it. He he did a very fantastic job, Hero Mirai. So yeah, love him, love the show. Sad it's gonna be gone. Yeah. That's the theme of death, you know. We gotta we gotta move on. Things come and things go. You know, Speaking. you can't have every show can't be The Simpsons. Right? It goes on for Eh, too long. the Simpsons is a walking corpse right now. So, uh, speaking of death, though, what are we watching next week? Uh, so yeah, I wasn't exactly sure what direction I want to go to, but yeah, after watching Afterlife, I felt like that was as close as we're going to get to like a very beautiful, uh, succinct, poetic uh, kind of depiction of the theme of death and memory and like a, a very clear and concise statement about memory and all the, like how things are malleable and how things change. And it's very human. I struggle to think I'll find a movie that can sort of top it in sincerity and like poeticism and beauty. So you're going to go the So opposite I'm going to direction? go well, a, a little bit. It's not going to be like super uh, corny or jokey or whatever, but I'm going to pick a movie that I think definitely aligns with the theme of death, but it's a little bit more vibrant and a little bit more fun. I'm going to go with motherfucking Coco. I knew it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I cried oh my like a God. baby Same, the first dude. time I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, fuck it. I was, I saw it by myself. I was a uh, center seat in the middle of the theater because I like to have a good seat. And when 
the movie ended, I was like the last person to leave because I didn't want anyone to see me. Because <laughs> I was yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, I'd been crying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, no I one can see. see. I'm a grown man. Yes. <laughs> watch this on a whim, just like out in my studio, smoking weed, you know, just like, oh, I'm just like, throwing cocoa, see what it's like. And just like, <laughs> just couldn't move. <laughs> just like, once that last remember me hit, so yeah. I was like, fuck, oh, this boy. is just amazing. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's great. It's, it's animated. It's, I think it deserves all the accolades it got. But yeah, as far as, I think, talking about like Dios de los Muertos and Mexican culture and just the honoring of the dead. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think that thing would be a good way to, to wrap it up. Cool. All right, next week, Coco, Team Coco. Sweet. Yeah, Team Coco. Friend Adam worked for them. Um, so, yeah, this has been episode 108 of Vague Zone. If you'd like to email us, you can email us, vaguezonepod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at, on Twitter at Vague Zone. Let us know what you're watching. If you have theme suggestions, let us know. If you have comments, questions, or concerns, reach out to us. Let us know what you're thinking. Yeah, this has been 108. I'm Thomas. And I'm Daniel. We'll see you next time.